Uh, December, more people will probably take their life in suicide than any other month. It's the most depressing time of the year for those who've lost loved ones, for those uh, who uh, have gone through divorce, uh, those who are estranged from maybe family, friends. It, it is a very heavy time. All the movies and everything creates the fireplace, family reunions, all like that. But what if uh, you lost someone? What if divorce? What if children are estranged? All the, and what if you are a widow? Uh, it is a great time uh, of sorrow in many people, and it's a great time for us to be sensitive to them. And uh, uh, I think our event tonight would be great. <clears throat> be praying for our choir people. They've been practicing till 12 o'clock every night to provide something for you that are here this morning. Uh, but why don't you bring somebody that's lonely, shut in, uh, uh, reach out to them. Do you want this church to grow? Thank you, you four or five. If you don't want it to grow, God forgive you, and may you repent. Most churches don't grow because the people who attend it don't want it to grow. It's our fault. But it is interesting, as I read the stats, do you know why people who are not believers come to church? What is it? I don't want to be alone. They're usually asked by somebody known as a friend. Do you have any? Maybe that's, maybe that's it. None of you have any friends. Do you have at least five to ten people in your life that don't know Christ? Children, aunts, uncles, mother, father, uh, grandchildren, uh, neighbors. I'm talking to you. I'll preach evangelistically if you'll bring me someone to preach to. My wife's answered enough altar calls. I can only get her saved once. And some of you, you know what? Some of you just stay in church and critique the preacher, see if he cuts it right. You might as well lay off of me. I'm in good shape compared to that man that's lost. Why don't you, why don't you get concerned about how you're sharing the gospel? You, not me. All my stuff's recorded. You know how I mess up. You play it over and over. How are you doing? Do you pray about bringing anyone? I'm serious now. Do you, have, do you ever invite anyone? Or, no, I sat here. I just don't want to, if we had more people, I might lose my seat. Wouldn't that be pitiful? Uh, do, is there too many people at the table? No, no, no. We'll figure out if we grow, we need to go three services. We'll buy another bus. We'll figure it out. But I tell you, I don't know what God's doing in me, but I just have the feeling people are living on the edge of eternity, and they're going to perish if they die without Christ. And the only instrument God has given to reach them is us. He won't send angels to do this. He won't send angels to invite people. And I don't care if you invite them to church. Invite them to your house to share the good news. But should we not be trying to reach people that if we could see them 100 years from today, you will be in terror to see what they look like. 
if they die without Christ. Or it will be magnificent glory that you'll rejoice with them forever about. We uh, have a, a book that you may like to get. It's in our bookstore. This is not my picture. And uh, uh, it's a series of messages I did on the book of John a uh, year, two years ago, on Jesus, the revealer of God. It's really Christmas sermons. Might be something you can use to give to a friend, somebody you're working with on the job. Say, read this and you'll hear the Christmas story. Uh, you'll know why Christ came, why it's not Santa, but it's Christ. And they're in the bookstore. I think they're about $7. Uh, we only got a small order in because we didn't want to carry a bunch of inventory. But it might be a wonderful evangelistic tool for you uh, to give to some friend at this time of the year. Betty Robinson and Catherine Lottie-Baudier put this together. I thank God for those dear women. And so they're in the bookstore. Get them. We don't want to just keep them. We want to sow them. We want to put it in someone's life. All right? Turn, if you will, to Hebrews. We're going to start the book of Hebrews. A tough book to outline. Let me tell you, it's a tough book. Let me tell you what the book of Hebrews is about. 15 to 25 times, at least 15 times, some say 25 times, in the book, he says Christ is better than or superior to the things he compares him to. And so he says he's better than the Aaronic priesthood. He's better than angels. He's better than animal blood. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than uh, uh, Melchizedek. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Moses. Over and over and over. And who is he saying it to? He's saying it to Hebrews who had professed faith in Christ, and they're losing their property they're losing their connection to the Jewish community. They're under all kinds of pressure to go back to Judaism. And many of them cave in while others uh, suffer the loss of all things. Uh, it's never been easy to be a Jewish Christian. Never. Uh, being with Jews uh, in New York City uh, it is a price because the Jewish community has been taught that Christians hate Jews uh, because Christians have persecuted Jews. Now, Jews persecuted Christians in Acts. But in the Spanish Inquisition, we killed Jews by the thousands. Many Jews fled to Spain during the Inquisition, which was primarily headed by the Catholic Church. But we get identified with whatever the Catholic Church does, we get credit for because we're all Christians. That's the way they view it. And they kill many a Jew. So Christianity is viewed as anti-Semitic to the Jewish mind. We hate Jews. Uh, that is not true, but that's how they tell it. And uh, hearing uh, Ellie Wiesel there and other Jews, they, it, it's built in because to be a Christian is to give up my Jewishness. Now, let me ask you this. If you became a Christian, would you cease to be a Jew? Well, when you became a Christian, you ceased to be black. You didn't deal with that, did you? Oh, when I became a Christian, I quit being a white boy. 
Never, never put that. For the Jew to become a Christian is to deny his ethnicity because they made his ethnicity one with his religion. You ask a Mexican in Mexico to become an evangelical, born-again Christian, it's almost like, how dare you? You're not only taking on your ethnicity, but you were a baptized Catholic. How dare you say that wasn't enough? And it's very hard in the Latino community to separate the Christianity that says once and for all sacrifice with the perpetual masses, the perpetual penance, the perpetual theology of Rome. Are you asking me to give up my ethnicity? Why, no, no, you'll still be Latino. You'll still be Mexican, still be Filipino. But can you be a born-again believer and still be Filipino? Come on, you folks, you can cough the answer, but I'm going to hear you. Talk back to me. When I ask you a question, I want to hear. You're still Mexican. You don't have to be Catholic. You Latinos and Filipinos, speak up. Well, the Jew has been taught and is still taught to become a Christian is to join those who hate us. Now, back in the first century, the Jews were persecuting those that were breaking from the Jewish community by their faith in Christ. They were not giving up Hanukkah. They weren't giving up um, maybe the Day of Atonement as a celebration or the three feasts of Israel. But they were saying Jesus is Messiah, of which the religious leader said he's not Messiah. He's not. We've made an official vote as a nation. We reject this candidate for Messiah. Now, you're telling us you're following him, that he is Messiah. You're put out of the Jewish community. You become an enemy. Now, he's writing to these kind of people. See, it's never cost most of you anything to be a Christian. If you're raised around Christians, whoo, our boy became a believer. Instead of, we just put you out of the will, you're not welcome at our synagogue, you're not welcome in our community, how dare you uh, betray us by be following Christ. This is the pressure they face. Your biggest pressure is, can I make it on Sunday? Can I stand the people I go to church with? That's your pressure. What about, we're going to disown you, repossess your goods, drop your inheritance, and disown you. We will set a plate out celebrating your death. You have died to us. This is what these people were facing. So the book is an exposition and about seven exhortations, and about four or five warnings. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go. Why not go back? When you've been given the best, never go back. And Jesus is the best. And he's going to show them repeatedly in this book why Jesus is the best. He is the best. Now, let us look at the first four verses here. Long ago... I'm using ESV. Some of you are confused. Some weeks I use NIV. Some weeks I use New American. Some weeks ESV. I basically use the one that agrees with me. <laughs> so, but I want to try to stay with ESV. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is the main verb, the main sentence. God is speaking in these last days to us in his son. He is, uh, let's go on, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, some say the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Three things we want to note. How God has spoken to the human race in the past. Number one, how God has spoken in the past. Two, how God is speaking to the human race at present. And by that how, who is God speaking to us through today? How he spoke in the past, who is he speaking through today? And the third thing is, what does he have to say to us today through the Son? And I'll select about four things. Be minimal. We'll go, how has God spoken in the past? He says he has spoken many times in many ways. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God has spoken in dreams, visions. Read the book of Daniel. God spoke to Noah, build an ark. He spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He uh, showed up in what we call theophanies. Uh, when Moses, in chapter 3 of Exodus, is at the burning bush, and the bush is talking to him, who's talking from that bush? God, God the Son. Any place in the Old Testament where there is a manifestation, Shekinah, by the way, you talk about the Shekinah glory, all Shekinah really means to the Jewish mind is the manifest presence of God, manifested presence. And where God gave visible expression to himself, Mount Sinai, the cloud, the fire, that's always God the Son is in the middle of that because no one has seen God the Father at any time. He's remained invisible. But the expression of God, no matter where in history, even in the Old Testament, was through signs, visions, dreams, theophanies, the bush on fire, that rock that led them was Christ, uh, rolling back of the Red Sea. This is God the Son, and God spoke many ways through many prophets, writing prophets, speaking prophets, uh, just think of him in Genesis 12. A moon worshiper. I can imagine him worshiping the moon, making his sacrifice. And God says, Abram, leave her. Get your goods and go to a land I'm showing you. Go. Like that. I mean, who's just talking? God, how did he do it? Audibly so Abram could get it. 
Amazing. Just comes down there. And what about this boy Samuel? Three times he hears his voice in the night. Finally goes to Eli. What's going Eli said, what's going on, son? He said, I, I'm being awakened at night. I think God's talking to me. Eli said, the next time, simply tell him, speak, Lord. This servant is listening. God has spoken to men and women throughout history in various ways, through the prophets. But he said in Matthew 21 that the owner of the property was wanting to collect the rent. The crops came in. And so he sends a delegation of servants. Go collect the rent. And when they get there, in this abundance of harvest, they take one man and they beat him up. Another man they stone. Another one they kill. The word gets back to the owner. They killed everybody you sent. He said, I'll send another delegation. He sent some more servants. They stoned them. They beat them. They threw them out of the vineyard, having been killed, their brains bashed in with stones. And the owner says, wow, they don't get it. I'll send my son. Huh, they'll recognize him. And when the son came, says, my father has sent me to collect the rent and to check up on you. And they all say, let's kill him. And it says in Matthew 21, the Pharisees, when they heard this, said, he's saying that to us. For Jesus came and they killed him just like they killed the prophets. And all the time, God was trying to talk to them. So after Malachi, God went silent for 400 years. And Malachi's last message in chapter 4 is the son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings and he will come as a refiner's fire in judgment and he will consume Israel. That's the last word. 400 years God is not talking to the race. The next time he talks, a baby is crying at Bethlehem. And this is the voice of God. God says, I want to talk to you. I'm not through talking. Well, who are you going to talk to us through? I'm going to talk to you through this baby that Mary has just had. And there's seven things about him that qualify him to represent me. How God is speaking today in Christ. Listen to his qualifications to represent God. Number one, I'm sending the heir of all things. Comes right out of Psalms 2. My son will inherit all the nations as a reward for his death. He will be blessed and be treated like the heir of every, the whole universe belongs to the Son, and someday he will subject it all under his feet, and he will reign everything. Even lion's temperament will be changed. They'll no longer devour other. They'll quit being carnivorous. They'll become vegetarian. He will make the desert bloom. He's coming yet. He has all authority over the earth. He's the heir 
of all things. I'm not sending an angel. I'm not sending the prophet. I'm sending the heir, heir of all things. What else about him that qualifies him to speak? Well, let's see. He says something. Oh, he is the creator and through whom also he created the world. Who created the world? Was it the Father or the Son? I heard Father. Can I hear Son? Let's get an auction going. Think of making the cake. The Father got the ingredients. The Son put them together. And the Holy Spirit decorated the cake. Because he said in Job, he decorated the heavens by the Spirit of God. They all three had a part. But always when he speaks of the Son, he's always seen as the agent through which the Father accomplished it. And so through the agency of this one he sent, God has created everything you see. I don't care if it's a telescope, microscope, how deep you go, how high you get. If it exists, he created it. Some... uh, Heard at a funeral yesterday about debating evolution. Some say there is God, but his method of creation was evolution. Well, uh, that didn't come up until about 1800. When Genesis 1 was written, there were no microscopes. God said, I created it. I'm the method, and I'm the source. And I'm sending a creator God to represent me the one who participated, and he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, the ESV, or representation, King James, New American Standard, NIV, the exact representation of his nature. Wait, wait, wait. Radiance, that's tough. If he had a light bulb here, Uh, If you say you saw the light bulb, what if the light bulb was turned off? Is that a light bulb? What if we turn it on and you said, I see the radiance? Would it be like seeing the light bulb? Yeah. You're seeing what it produces. God says, I'm going to send that which radiates me. He is the full external glory of me. He can duplicate me. Did you know Jesus can do anything the Father can do? John 5. The Father can raise the dead, so can I. The Father can do this, so can I. The Father has life in himself, so do I. By the way, the Father's committed all judgment to me. He won't even touch judgment. I'm going to judge sinners, not the Father. Why throne judgment isn't the Father, it's the Son. He does the judging. He is the exact radiance of this glorious God, nothing diminished, and he shares his divine nature. That means all the omnipotence, eternality, omnipresence, all-knowing. All he did is he clothed himself in humility to restrain. He came like a servant, and he suppressed the external glory of all that he was, but he always possessed it. And when he emptied himself, he never emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of all that he could give. He gave himself for us. 
but he, he was God on the cross. He was God in the tomb. He can never cease to be God. He is God. He shares the nature of God. That's who he's describing, who this messenger, who speaks for him today, this son, the radiant glory of God, the exact representative. And what's he doing now? Uh, he's upholding the universe by the word of his power. And it's not a picture of Atlas. No, no, no. No, no. That's Greeks. He's upholding. He is the governor administrator that makes everything in the universe run like it should run. He keeps the sun from burning up the earth. It only gets so close. Well, uh, Tell me which uh, scientist set that rule in motion. What scientist makes gravity work? Uh, by the way, uh, Mr. Scientist, when did you set limits to the ocean of how far it can go? Who set the limits? Who's the governor of this thing? Who keeps planets at the right distance so we're not burned up or frozen to death or that we're not inundated by flooding because the ocean gives up its boundaries? We ought to be real nervous living in California. Ooh, God slipped. We just lost another city. No, no, no. He said, I am running the universe. I am sustaining it. I uphold all the planets. I uphold the earth, the tides, the wind, the seasons, the events. It's being run by God the Son. I give rain to California, not brown, not any other politician. If I withhold it, it's withheld. If I give it, I give it. I am the unrecognized governor of the universe. Come on, come on. This is our turf. I'm not a cow. They wouldn't have me. This is what he said. This is who he sent. All power to run the universe. Powerful enough to create it. I am his, the heir of everything. You mean this is who you sent? When you said you spoke to the son. This is the son. This is who he is. Now watch. After making purification for sins, wait, we just want God to talk to us. What are you doing messing with our sins? He said, I want to purify the folks I'm going to talk to. This messenger did something Isaiah could never do. Isaiah, you can talk to me, but you can't do anything about my sins. This one can this messenger said, bring on their sins, big, long, tall, doesn't matter. I'm going to do something about the sin problem called purify them. I'm going to purify. You know, prophet Isaiah said when he got the call from God, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm ruined. I'm dirty before this holy God. And God said, I'll send a coal from off the altar to cleanse your filthy lips, Isaiah, so I can use you. You know, I used to read that as a boy. I said, Lord, I'm better at cussing and say, Joe Mama, than preaching. You sure you want me to preach? I know how to cuss a boy. I don't know anything about your vocabulary. He said, don't worry. I got something that's made atonement for you on the altar. And I'm going to send a cold boy, and I'm going to cleanse your lips, and I'm going to turn you into a messenger of mine. But I got to first clean you up. I want to clean your lips, give you a new vocabulary, a new subject, and cussing will look like an insult. 
I got gospel. I don't have any cussing. Because I got good news. But I had to first cleanse my lips. Are your lips clean enough to bear his good news? That's what the cross was about. This messenger is not going to just preach. He's going to do something about your sins. This is no ordinary messenger. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, let me say, in this book, nobody sits down but Jesus. Because this is a book telling you about the old covenant where the priest never got to sit down. There was no furniture in the tabernacle for the priest to sit down. But Christ is the kind of high priest that sits down because it's done. No more sacrifices, no more penance, and all religion that says you're doing something for God, doing something. You don't do anything for this God. He does it all for us. It's done. So his work was so complete, he sat down, and then God lets him sit next to the majesty on high, and having become as superior to the angels, he gave him a name. The Hebrews only talked about God as the name. The son could never bear that unless he was being. Other words, you haven't said really God when you say G-O-D. I know God. Well, who is G-O-D? Wait, then the Hebrews would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths for his name. Well, what's his name? Or when you baptize men and women, baptize him in the one, and you notice that's a singular? One name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But one name. When they said name, the Jewish audience, they were saying, that which represents who God is. What God, say, tell me who God is. Well, God is God. So you don't know who God is. You just know how to spell God. No, he is the God of creation, the God of power, the God of eternality, the God of infinite wisdom, the God of omniscience, the God that's worked in history, the exodus, the creation, the prophet. This is who I'm talking about when I say God. I'm not talking about an ambiguous, the devil can say God. An atheist can say God. Do you know God? You've got to know the name. Who is he? What is he? He's not who we define. He's who he reveals himself to be. And his greatest revelation was in the Son, who he is. Now, God has spoken the past. He's chosen to speak in the Son with these characteristics. Now, I would just like to pick, what does God have to say to the race after um, unceasing rebellion. Israel, I am the true and living God. What do you want? I want to be like Babylon and Assyria. I want to worship their gods. I'm into phallic worship. I'm into offering my daughters and sons on the altar. I'll give them to Molech. I'll give them to these gods of Dagon. We don't want the God that saved our father Abraham. We like Gentile gods. But did God say, I'll let Babylon take you? 
I'll let Assyria take you. I'm going to scatter you in the dysphoria. I'm going to give you what you want. You've abandoned me. You're away from me. Gentiles, what do you want? We don't want the God who created all of this. We want to worship animals. We want to worship creatures, anything but the Creator. We will kill your prophets, kill your prophets, kill your prophets. And after 400 years of silence, God says, I'd like to talk to you again. What do you have to say? Turn to John chapter 1. Buy the book and you get this free. No, you won't. Seven bucks. Come on, it's Christmas. Don't be tight. John 1. Look at verse 14. John 1, verse 14. And the Word, which was Christ, became flesh. And the Word dwelt. You ought to translate it's skene, tinted. He tinted out. He camped out among us. He tinted among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Are you a son of God? Where would you prove that? Well, John 1, 12, Romans 8, we're not slaves, we're sons. Galatians 4. He has sent the spirit of his son in our hearts by which we cry, Abba, for we are sons, not slaves. Well, we are. Uh, angels are called sons of God, Job 1. The nation of Israel is called his son, Hosea 11.1. 1. I call my son out of Egypt. So the fourth usage is when he uses it of God, the son, he's usually called the only one of its kind of son. Only begotten means only one of its kind. And so he's saying, he's speaking to us as the only kind of son that comes from the Father, full of judgment, wrath, anger, hostility, and I came to tell you off. Full of what? Grace and truth. Well, well, you already spoke through Moses. What came through Moses? For the law was given through Moses, verse 17. And the law, what did it do? Thoroughly convinced us we were rotten. It shut our mouth, according to Romans, because we broke all the commandments, and we now deserve a death penalty. And God said, I want to talk one last time to the human race. And the first thing I want to tell them is, I'm offering you grace in Jesus. I don't want to treat you as you deserve. I'm sending grace. We thought you'd send us another death sentence. No, I'm going to let this messenger bear your sentence. But I want you to get from him. I want to be gracious to you. I want to be truthful with you. That's what I want to say. Can you hear me? Then look at chapter Three. Of course, you know verse 12 of John 1. If you believe in his name, he'll give you a right to be, come into his family. But he says something over in John 3, 16 that goes like this. For God so hated 
his enemies. Wait, wait. You can't love people that hate you. Yes, I can. The world doesn't stand for how broad the audience is. It's how bad the audience is. The world always represents those in the grip of Satan. So it represents our badness, not how vast. God loved those who hated him, rejected him, and didn't want him for however many centuries from Adam to Christ. But he said, I'm going to love them. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in the son should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, find them guilty, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He found us condemned. We were in a state of being condemned, children of wrath, before he ever came. Why should he come and heap more guilt? Some of you Christians, do you ever bring grace when you show up? Are you just telling me how bad everybody is? So what? God loves sinners. Get that in your head. He loves sinners. It's cost him more to love us than it's ever cost you. Get over it. If we got what we deserved, I'd be in hell. I didn't want God. He wanted me. I rejected him. I didn't want him. I should have been saved when I was five. All the influence in my life from Christian people. But I didn't want him. He wants you. That's the miracle. Why? What have you? What do you have that God wants? All he wants to do is say, I'm going to show people my grace by what I do for you. I sent a messenger that says, I want to be gracious. I'll do all the work. You just believe me. Just trust me. Believe me. Look at verse 36. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. First, he wants to show you grace. Two, he wants to show you sacrificial love. And now he says, I want to give you eternal life instead of eternal wrath. We were all dwelling under the wrath of God. I see this this way. Before we were saved, I was in a state, I was a child of wrath by nature, Ephesians 2, and I abode under the wrath of God, but it never did settle down on me. If it settled down on me, I'd be in hell. You know what he did? The son stepped in between the wrath of God and me, and the cross has kept his wrath off of me. I was under it one time. Oh, yeah. But the son came He's covered, and he even moved me over here. said, let's move him into the family. No longer an object of wrath. That's what the son came. That's what God's got to say to the human race. I don't care how much you hate him. 
I don't care how much you rejected him. I don't care how far you run. I don't care how mean you are. He loves you. He wants to be gracious to you. He wants to bear your penalty. Why don't you come? What's your problem? Why don't you come? This is a gracious God. He didn't send us a guillotine. He sent us a beloved son that took the cross because he wants to reach out to you. That's what he would do to get you to heaven. He said in Matthew 11, we won't go there. I came to give you rest. Sin will wear you out. There is no rest for the wicked. They are like the ocean and tossing up all of its filth and its mess. He said the wicked are like that ocean with foam and dirt and all the stuff. But he came. He said, I'd like to give you peace. I'd like to heal the breach between you and my father. I'm the middleman that can bring you. Job said in Job 19 one time, he said, oh, God, would that there was someone that could lay hands on my head and lay hands on God at the same time. It was an arbitrator he's calling for. Oh, I wish I had someone to arbitrate my case. But Paul answered him in 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He takes hold of the sinner. He takes hold of the Father's hand. And he said, I will bring you together. And he brings us together in salvation. I'm going to say this. God has spoken his best in Jesus. He has done his best. And if you don't receive his best, you will get his worst. He says, there's only two, two choices on the menu. God's best, God's worst. And his best spokesman, his best and last message, his final message is Jesus. And oh, church, what are you doing with the message? Setting on it or sharing it? Mister, that you may be here or some young lady, when have you ever responded to this gracious messenger of God? Have you ever believed in him? He said in Hebrews 3, it's a present tense in the Greek, though he's quoting Psalms 95 that had been written 600 years before. He said, today, if you'll hear his voice and not harden your heart, he will come in. Can you hear him? Come. I want to be gracious. I want to show you God loves you. I want to show you you can have rest. Believe it or not, it, this is hard. I'm not so mad that I don't love you. I'll put all my anger on my son if you'll just let me love you. Would you receive my son, my love gift? That's what I got to say, and he's been saying it for 2,000 years. Oh, he's waited long. His next time he'll speak will be revelation when he pours out judgment on the earth. He's going to come in wrath and power and judgment, and there'll be no second chance or no negotiation. This voice has been an echoing 2,000-year voice. Come, let me save you. Let me give you a new life. Let me forgive you. I don't want to sentence you. I want to rescue you. Bow your heads. Let's pray.
pray for that one here that doesn't know him. Our Father, who is here today that you're speaking to? Young person, young adult, every age, where are they, Lord? That they've never said, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I hear you speaking. I want your grace. I need your mercy. I don't want to run from you. I want you. I need you. I can never say God doesn't love me since Jesus. I can never say God hasn't been gracious since Jesus. I can never say he has not pursued me because he sent Jesus, the one that came to the field, and they killed him. Oh, Lord Jesus, speak to some heart like you did last Sunday. I'm convinced more and more there's many unsaved people that attend our services. I want them saved. I want to see them saved. I told you I'll beg if I need to beg. I'll weep if you'll give me the tears. I want men to come to know you and not perish. Is the Spirit of God speaking to you saying, come to Christ? Receive this Christ who died for your sins and is alive today and wants to become yours personally in time. They say, I receive you, Lord Jesus. You're who I need. You're the one I've been running from. You're the one I've been living without. I've been miserable. I've been condemned. I've been sinful. Where can I go to get any help? And he says, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.